Al-Jazeera Podcast. After 12 years of civil war and government crackdowns in Syria, the Arab League has reinstated the country. But some states have expressed reservations. So does this end Bashar al-Assad's regional isolation? And what's next for Syria and its people? I'm Fully Batibo, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests now for today's Inside Story. In Washington, D.C. is Omar al-Shoghri, a Syrian refugee, now Director for Detainees Affairs at the Syrian Emergency Task Force. Joshua Landis is the Director of the Center for Middle East Studies at the University of Oklahoma. He joins us from there. And in Milton Keynes is Amar Wakaf, Director of Gnosos, a Middle East think tank and a member of the British Syrian Society. A warm welcome to you all, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. Omar, in Washington, D.C., let me start with you uh, and ask you about your reaction as someone who suffered at the hands of the Syrian regime. You were in detention for three years. What does Syria being readmitted to the Arab League mean to you? Firstly, as an Arab, I would find it very difficult to believe that the Arab League exists to support the Arab populations, but rather to support the Arab rulers and and leading politicians. Now, as a Syrian, despite the fact that I don't believe uh, and I could not see the Arab Arab League as an ally of the Syrian people, I still cannot but feel disappointed and betrayed because at least, you know, you can always see the the Arab rulers or the Arab governments talk about morality and brotherhood and uh, generosity, courage. And now when it comes to actions, they always support the, the evil. Amar, let me ask you for your thoughts. Omar says he feels disappointed and betrayed. Um, What are your thoughts about this decision to readmit Bashar al-Assad's regime? And how does this benefit Syria and the Arab region? Well, um, first of all, this is like um, a pragmatic move, so to speak. If the Arab states, or at least certain Arab states, have tried to topple the government in Damascus, they failed, they must have a, a different way. It happened in Yemen as well. They must sit and negotiate. They must readmit. The days for dreaming about, you know, getting rid of Assad, I think, are over. Everybody realizes that. So the only course of action is just to sit and try to talk him with him and try to uh, seek his help, help him, help them, uh, you know, solve whatever problems they might have in the region. As for the Syrian people, I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel, finally. Um, The largest factor of people getting out of Syria at this moment in time, which is affecting all neighboring countries, so to speak, let alone Europe, um, is the uh, bad economic situation that is aggravated by the sanctions. And people in Syria believe that, you know, once you warm up relations with the Arab world, then probably things are going to get better, at least on the economical um, side, which would stabilize the situation inside Syria and bring them a little bit more stability on all sides. All right. Uh, Joshua Landis, let me ask you for your thoughts. And uh, before I'll, I'll get back to Omar, who seems to disagree with you, Amar. Joshua, Omar says, Amar says rather that this is a pragmatic move. The regional calculus certainly seems to have shifted. What do you think is driving this need to rehabilitate Bashar al-Assad? Well, I don't, I don't think anybody's interested in rehabilitating Bashar al-Assad. But when we think of the 16 million people, uh, Syrians, who have been left behind, Uh, and are suffering terribly from civil war, sanctions, and poverty. 90% of Syrians are living below the poverty line. Sanctions are not working. 
freezing Assad, the regime out, is not working. It, it hasn't hurt Assad. This is, doesn't bring justice to Assad. This brings injustice to the Syrians. And I think the Arab regimes have seen it that way. You know, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your neighbors. And they have many outstanding issues that they want to get solved. Things such as the Captagon trade, the return of refugees, trying to decrease Iran's and Russia's influence in the region, trying to get occupying powers like Turkey and the United States out of Syria and return sovereignty to Syria. All of those issues can't be addressed unless they're dealing with the government. And that's, you know, I think that's the bottom line, that they want to deal with the government. They see the suffering of the Syrians, as we saw with the earthquake, and they believe that, that that's the only way forward because sanctions have failed. And the U.S. doesn't have a policy to bring Assad to justice. If it did, I think they would pursue it. And that's why this has gone on for so many years, mm. the, the sanctions, without any real pushback. All right. Omar, your, your response to this. Omar says this, that this is the light at the end of the tunnel for Syrians. Joshua says that freezing the regime hasn't really worked and that dealing with the government is the only way forward. What do you say to that? What I would say is that the Syrian regime has killed hundreds of thousands of people, displaced millions, and, you know, imprisoned so many. And now these people are still under torture. You know, there is over 130,000 people being tortured on a daily basis. You cannot talk about a political solution or a solution for the people on the ground and a way to for the refugees to return back if you're keeping the same reason for the refuge in place, which is the, the Syrian government. The Syrian regime did not change any of its behaviors. So you cannot mm. go and negotiate with any regime that's not, not willing to change anything. The Syrian regime but, didn't even apologize for the statements that, made it, that, that it made against the Arab governments for many years, you know, calling them the exporters of terrorists and the, the, the half-men and the trash and so on. The Syrian regime is not willing to negotiate. And by welcoming the Syrian regime back, you're telling the Syrian regime that you can't kill your way to power. You, you're telling every Arab ruler that you actually can kill, rape, and torture your citizens one by one, and you will still be welcome back. The, Syrian, the only way for the, for the solution is the accountability of the Syrian regime. And let me touch base on the question of sanctions. You understand the impact of sanctions when you remove them. If you remove the sanctions, you're giving so many ways for the regime to fund its death machines. That's our biggest problem with the Syrian regime. It has the power to kill people. And if we lift these sanctions, the regime will have so many ways of funding its operations. That's why we keep the sanctions. Mm. Amar, your thoughts about this? And, and is the Syrian regime, is President Assad uh, willing to resolve the conflict today? Is he willing to negotiate with the opposition? Is he willing to, to get some consensus? I don't think there will, ever, there will ever be a consensus. Let me Let me just tell you that at the very start of this uh, conflict. This is, um, you, you know, March uh, 2011. I heard a narrative. This is the first day of the so-called revolution. Um, some guy, a cleric in Banias, goes up uh, and, and, and reads a list of demands, the first of which to separate boys and girls in the schools. Now, for some people, this, you know, speaks of democracy and human rights. To me, it's the opposite. We have to admit that the Syrian people are split on either the motives of the revolution and the way it was carried out, and of course, let alone the the international and regional uh, intervention. Mm -hmm. So how to solve this problem? You have people in Syria who from day one 
uh, resolved to supporting the government because they wanted to protect themselves. These are the constituency of the government. Nothing is going to happen unless they are happy. But so is anything it's not going about, to change you know, on the government side? Wants that. But is anything going to change on the government side? Is it going to make concessions? My understanding is that there are preparations for some sort of a political solution. I would call it a political midway solution. Uh, there has been some movement on the Astana process, the Sochi uh, process, and this would lead to some people, some parties who might be, you know, uh, uh, included in a future government. But to be honest, the people in Syria who feel that they don't want this revolution cannot accept more than this. So we have to go, you know, midway in between just to think of toppling Assad. No, yeah, I think that's, that's just dreams from the very beginning, to be honest. We need to think that the people in Syria who took refuge in supporting the government, who felt threatened by the revolution, will not accept people who, um, A, promote the sanctions because they are feeling the brunt of it. Everybody's um, livelihood has deteriorated 100-fold inside Syria because some guy uh, and some people in Washington think that you know, this is the best way to put pressure on Assad. Okay. It's not going to happen. It's not related only to Assad. It's related to a whole constitute, a whole part of the Syrian people. All right, Joshua, th there is a point to be made that there's a huge section of the Syrian society that feels excluded as a result of this decision, as we've heard from uh, Omar, and that they, they say that this is rehabilitating, in a way, a, a brutal regime which committed crimes, which committed abuses during this conflict. And, and, you know, what do you do about these people? And, and those Syrians who still live in government-controlled areas, uh, those who are still languishing in prison? Well, he's, he's completely right that uh, this is not going to bring the, the regime to justice. But the problem, I think, that we've reiterated is that there is no policy to bring the regime to justice. Sanctions do not bring justice to the regime. We saw this in Iraq, where half a million, and the UN considered half a million people died because of sanctions. Um, this is going to happen in Syria. It is happening in Syria. Why kill a lot of innocent people in order to bring justice to Assad? It's not going to, he doesn't, he's not going to care if this is the way. He's shown that he's very stubborn and he's willing to see Syrians die. And um, it's true that many Syrians, particularly in the, in the in, who found asylum in the United States and Europe, are furious at this because it means that they will never be able to go home, and that's a terrible uh, crime. But th they've forgotten the people who've been left behind, and that's this is the problem. You've got the two problems, and and the United States had a chance hmm. to overturn the Assad regime. They had fought four years before the Russians entered in, and they got spooked by the opposition. They turned away. We've seen in Ukraine today what they right. can do if they put their mind to it. They could have destroyed Assad and his army. They chose not to. They feared destroying the Syrian army because they worried that the opposition would take Damascus, and that I would be worse than Assad. And that's I was going to ask you here. about the, the, the U.S., uh, Joshua, because the State Department, uh, in its statement after this decision to readmit Syria to the Arab League was made, said that it's skeptical of Assad's willingness to solve the Syrian crisis, but at the same time said that it was aligned with Arab partners on ultimate goals. What does that mean? What are the ultimate goals here? Well, you know, the United States would like uh, 2254, 
UN Resolution 2254 to be imposed, which calls for democratic elections overseen by the UN, which would fulfill America's demand that Syria become democratic, have elections, and Assad leave power. But of course, Assad is not going to fulfill those. So this is a very, you know, this is a disappointment to the UN and to the United States. The U.S. also wants the Kurdish region, which, which it oversees with its soldiers today, 30 percent of Syria, to have autonomy and for the Syrian democratic forces, these Kurdish-led militia, to remain sovereign in northern Syria. And, uh, and Assad has said he's not going to do that. So from both those points of view, Kurdish autonomy mm -hmm. as well as democratic elections are not going to happen in Syria. And this is a really, this is a very big disappointment to the United States, but to the Arab regimes and the Arab governments, they don't mind this so much because they're not democratic themselves. They would not want to see a democratic Syria, and they don't want an independent Kurdish state or quasi-independent Kurdish state in the north of Syria. So this is why they've gone ahead and, um, and defied these U.S. goals for right. Syria. It seems like we're back to, to square one with this. Uh, Omar, in Washington, D.C., let me ask you um, about the way forward now. I mean, uh, uh, we heard uh, in the beginning the U.S. calling for regime change in Syria. That doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. At least Bashar al-Assad seems to be firmly in place. You talked about your disappointment with Arab leaders. So what would you like to see happen next to change the status quo and allow the millions of Syrian refugees to return home, for trade to, to resume, for, you know, the country to thrive again? What would you like to see happen? Firstly, let me respond a little bit quickly to your guests. Um, ten years ago, exactly ten years ago, like, you know, May, May 2nd, 3rd, my hometown was attacked by the intelligence services of the Syrian regime. My father was killed, my brothers were killed, my childhood friends and my school was bombed. So the ones that are killing the Syrian people, the main actor that's killing the Syrian people, starving the Syrian people, sieging the Syrian people, is the Syrian regime. That's nothing we can deny in any way. In terms of the policy in general, I am not only disappointed with the Arab League, I'm disappointed with many countries that we, they were considered as, as actually allies of the Syrian people, because the U.S. policy is not a good, good enough policy to, to bring justice or accountability or democracy to Syria. What we're trying to do is we're trying to find which allies can we rely on, at least in a small in a small things. What are the interests of this ally? What is the interest of the Syrian people? The crossing point is something we work on. There is no great interest from the world to actually bring democracy to Syria. It's a clear. However, that doesn't mean that we keep Assad in power. Assad has killed, you know, slaughtered people for so long time. So the way forward is we keep pushing for what we're doing through the legal the legal way. So what, one of the things that we had success with is actually managing to uh, capture and build legal cases against individuals who were part of the Syrian regime and prosecute some of them. One of them was prosecuted for crimes against humanity. Being prosecuted for crimes against humanity means that you were part of a system that did that. And the system that Anwar Ristan, who was prosecuted, was part of is the Syrian regime. So the Syrian regime is technically sentenced for committed crimes against humanity, and there is evidence of that. So we're building different cases in different European cities. We have over 10, 10 different legal cases that we have, some of them against high-level uh, officials in the Syrian regime. 
Well, one can always say, well, these people will never leave Syria, Syria to be captured. Anyway, what you're doing is you're actually building legal cases that prevent so many European countries or the U.S. Uh, to normalize its relationship with the, with the Syrian regime over mm. time. Because we can see that policy changes over time with different administrations. So which, what we're trying to do, to do is uh, build the infrastructure that can prevent so many countries from normalizing the Syrian regime. The Syrian regime is not ready to release to release the 130,000 people from its prisons. The Syrian regime will not accept the refugees back because the conditions are not fixed. The regime will never uh, let them re peacefully return back people. And we saw that people sent from Lebanon and these people, some of them are taken to prison, being definitely interrogated and tortured today just for being refugees abroad because they escaped because they want to survive. This regime oh. is capable of killing people because it saw that the international community and the neighboring countries are not holding this regime accountable. And that's our problem. That's what mm -hmm. we're being challenged for, the fact that we're not uh, reaching accountability, okay. not holding this regime accountable. Let's, we have to do that even with the small steps we can take. Amar, what, what do you respond to what we just heard from Omar? And, and the same question to you, what needs to happen now, given that this regime uh, is not going anywhere. What needs to happen to uh, get the refugees to return, to get the economy going again? Well, first of all, guess what? You know, the other party has uh, committed or have collectively committed quite a lot of atrocities as well. So mm -hmm. the part of the Syrian people that supports the government thinks that it's not a very good idea to bring them back or to allow them back or even to release some of them from prison. So that's a problem that we need to have. They need this, this kind of people, you know, this part of the Syrian society needs to feel assured about any political process going forward. But this is about the inside of Syria. Uh, one of the functions and what is happening at this moment in time, one of the aspects is that the Arab League, the Arab states also need Syria on a regional basis to solve issues like, for example, the problem in Palestine, the problem with Iran, the problem in Yemen. And it was interesting to read the Syrian Foreign Ministry's statement on, on the resumption of the Arab League uh, membership. They spoke about mutual respect. They spoke about um, joint work with the Arab colleagues and brothers on regional issues. So, uh, yes, this process, it started actually in 2001, uh, sorry, 2021, in November 2021, with an initiative by four Arab states, um, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and UAE. They had a meeting um, mm. just before the American elections. They decided, they came out with a statement that they wanted to preserve the Arabic uh, face of Syria, so to speak, or quote-unquote. The King of Jordan, Abdullah II, flew to Washington, he flew to Moscow afterwards, and he told those two leaders about what was happening, you know, what's the, um, what's the point of view of these four states. And what we see now is actually like a, an implementation of that process uh, which led afterwards to some uh, embassies. So the issue of bringing back Syria to the fold isn't really only related to mm. Syrian internal Syria. conflict problems, even okay. though we need to accept that there will be some political process that uh, the Syrian state might have up its sleeve. And again, it, it would uh, need the acceptance of the people inside. Okay, and I do want to ask you, uh, Joshua, about the regional dynamics in a moment, but I want to allow Omar to respond to an interesting uh, point that was made by Amar, and that is the, the fact that some Syrians say that the regime isn't the only one to have committed crimes during this conflict. 
Amar, um, when I was 15 years old, I was taken to prison. I was tortured for committing no crimes. You can imagine, mm -hmm. 15 years old is not really likely to commit any crimes. I was arrested, I was tortured, and my fingernails were pulled out. And then I was released a few days later, but then I was arrested again when I was 17. And in these prisons, I, I had my friends, my classmates with me. Uh, none of us committed any crimes, that's early 2011. Those people were not criminals, man. You know it. You know it more than anyone else. You know they're not criminals. And I had my family being killed. My father served 25 years in the Syrian army. And then as soon as they attacked to do some ethnic cleansing in our town, they mm. killed everyone, including my father. However, there has been no, I need, I need crimes that committed from mm. all sides. That's one thing. That's uh, of course, of course, of course, definitely you can respond. There's been a crime committed from the other side. I, nobody can deny that. But you're saying it yourself. The regime committed so many crimes. The regime needs to be held accountable. The other sides need to be held accountable. Definitely. But the regime must be held accountable because it's technically the one who initiated all these crimes. So, and of course, the Arab, the Arab countries are not technically running out from the interest of the, of the Syrian regime, mostly from their own interest in the region. However, from, a t from the perspective of a human rights and considering the fact that the Syrian regime has committed these crimes against humanity, you are normalizing a regime and giving it a message that any okay. ruler around the world can kill its way, can bomb its Amar people with chemical weapons and can still be in power. Okay, Amar, please respond briefly before yeah. I go back to Joshua. You know, there was a, a guy from the Zinki um, uh, uh, militia who beheaded a kid, I think he was 11 years old, in front of the cameras. Now, if I were to be invited to the Security Council, whatever the world would like to hear a different part of the story, I would use less of a foul language, Omar, and uh, I would explain to them that there are quite a lot of, um, you know, uh, horrible stories on the other side. This is uh, the two the two sides of the Syrian people need to understand that this is not going to happen. You know, getting rid of the Syrian state is just not going to happen. We pay too much of a price um, to allow that to happen. And if you want to lower your expectations, if you want to do some soul searching, I do. By the way, I do sympathize with your uh, personal plight. Um, but there are others on the other side as well that you need to look at. And, mm. and probably acknowledge before okay. we can do any, any peace talking, so to speak. Okay, Joshua, let me ask you about the, the regional dynamics now. How does the um, readmission of Syria into the Arab League uh, impact the dynamics and, and the sense of unity first within the Arab League itself? Because as we know, some countries, including Qatar, Morocco, had expressed reservations about bringing Syria back into the fold. And also, where does this leave Syria's relationship with Iran and Russia to some extent? Well, obviously, it, it is a success for the Assad government. And it, it, it will be a success, I believe, for many uh, of the poorest Syrians who, who have a hope now of getting trade back. But of course, the sanctions, the US sanctions, EU sanctions, are very heavy, and they remain on Syria. Syria's you know, national budget this year was only $3 billion, which is which is less than many universities in the United States. So, so it, it is not going to transform Syria overnight. But it does put, in, in some ways, it, it puts the Arab countries at loggerheads with the United States on policy for Syria. They have stated that they want Syrian sovereignty, that they want to reconstruct Syria so refugees will go home. And these are things that they cannot do unless sanctions are lifted. 
And okay. so this is going to cause uh, considerable damage, I think, over the long term. And the United States is going to have to begin to trim its sails on Syria, or it's going to begin to um, it, it's going to begin to really come at, at, at cross purposes with its allies like Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and so forth, all of whom are pushing for greater reconstruction and the return briefly, of refugees. Briefly, Joshua, what about uh, Iran and Russia's influence in Syria? They're going to remain strong. Uh, this is a win for both Russia and Iran, which is one of the reasons the United States did not want to do it. Now, um, Saudi Arabia and others are counting on the fact that if they can spend money in Damascus, that this will lessen Damascus's dependence on Iran. And they might be able to get more influence in places like Lebanon for Saudi Arabia. They might be able to stem the Captagon trade mm -hmm. if there is illicit trade. So they're, they're, they're trying to deal with Assad. And all of that is, of course, going to strengthen the Syrian government and the Syrian military. Thank you so much. We're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for a great discussion. Omar Al-Shogri, Amar Wakaf, and Joshua Landis. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by Mohamed Elaishi, Katia Lopez-Horoyan, Fungi Nguyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Aston Goodison. The program was edited by Manish Matai, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next episode. Thank you.